Hey, and welcome to Let's Talk CPF, a podcast where we bring conversations on CPF to your ears. Brought to you by the CPF Board, this podcast will answer common questions, offer tips, and feature interviews with industry experts on CPF and financial planning. Thanks for listening, and let's get straight into today's episode. Hey, welcome back to Let's Talk CPF. I'm Yu Zhen from CPF Board. In this episode, we will discuss one of the key financial decisions and important milestones for young couples, buying their first home. With us today is Timothy, who is the co-founder of Dollars and Cents, a personal finance website that aims to help Singaporeans make better financial decisions. Hey, Timothy. Hi, Yijun. Thanks for having me on the show. To get things started, Timothy, do you still remember the time you brought your first home? What was your considerations then? Yes, of course. So I bought my first home in 2011. This was a BTO flat. So, you know, I I bought it in 2011 uh, when I was still in university. So uh, back then, uh, my girlfriend, um, now she's my wife, uh, she was already working for a few years. So as a first time applicant, you know, we actually got some housing grants because our combined monthly income then uh, was less than 5,000 because I wasn't working, obviously. Uh, So this was back, you know, when we had the old additional housing grant scheme. So uh, that's how I got my first flat. It was um, actually, uh, to share a little bit more, it was actually in Passeries. Uh, so why we applied for it was because, you know, both of us were staying in Passeries then um, with our parents and uh, there happened to be a video launch then. What about now? What advice would you give our young couples when they buy their first home? When we are buying our first home, one of the things that we, we should consider is cost. So many people look at a HDB flat and they think that, hey, the purchase price, that is what I'm paying. But typically, this may not really be true because, you know, for example, if you just look at the purchase price of a flat, you are not taking into consideration the additional cost that you might pay, which is basically your interest costs, your renovation costs. So just giving an assumption, right? So one of the things that I think a lot of new homeowners sometimes debate about is whether they should get a four-room flat or a five-room flat. And I think for some people, they feel like, hey, a five-room flat has more space. Uh, but I think one thing which we need to consider as, as home buyers is the difference in costs. So I just give you an example, right? In the 2000, uh, 2019 November BTO launch, if you look at the price of a four-room flat at Tampanese. Um, the cheapest four-room flat at Tampanese was 394000 And the cheapest five-room flat uh, during the BTO launch at Tampanese was $508,000. So the difference is 114000 So some people think, hey, that's the difference. That's what I'm paying in addition for the extra room. But here's the thing, it's not really true. So for example, if we just assume that for both whether the four-room or the five-room flat, we pay the down payment of 50800 So that's 10% of the five-room flat, right? Um, that means, you know, for the four-room flat, we actually have to borrow 343000 And for the five-room flat, we have to actually borrow $457,000. And if you just assume a 25-year loan period based on the HDB loan interest rate of 2.6%, uh, you would realize that your monthly repayment for the five-room flat is actually about $518 more each month or about $6,200 more each year. So that's extra money that you pay every year. And you know, over a period of 25 years, the difference in cost is actually $155,000. The interest add up. Yes, the interest adds it up. So you go from $114,000 to $155,000 over a 25 years period once you add in the additional interest costs. 
Then what about living with parents? Will you still encourage them to live with their parents? Um, I'm not too sure about living with your parents. I think, you know, as a married couple, a lot of um, us would have our own expectations. We want to start our own family. And, you know, of course, you know, if our parents, you know, maybe they need to live with us because no one is caring for them. I think that's that's fine. But I think um, when, when with a lot of married couples, they, they want to live on their own. I do think that living near your parents is an advantage. And I think it's an advantage that many of us parents, we start to realize it when we have young kids. You know, and we start realizing that, hey, especially when both of you are working, right? You, you, you know, having a, your parents being able to help you take care of the kids or at least bring them to school or bring them from school. I think that's an advantage. Um, and of course, you know, we can't ignore the fact that as our parents become older, you know, we might want to visit them more often. And I think when you and your wife are both working, it helps to know that your parents are staying nearby with you um, so that you don't really have to travel so far to have dinner with them. And I remember you also mentioning something about location, right? Uh, one, one thing about location, which I feel um, that people don't consider is that there is really a tangible cost difference between staying in what I will call a nice, good centralized location. Like you think of your Topayo, think of your Kalang versus a location, a, a developing town like Pongo or Ishun. I think the price difference is really real. And I think the difference can really add up over a long period of time, uh, especially once you take into consideration interest. So I would really advise young couples to look at the cost difference between um, different locations as well as the cost difference between you know, a four-room flat with a five-room flat or even a three-room flat because the amount can actually be very significant over a long period of time. Recently, the rates for bank loan has been quite attractive. So what are the considerations when deciding bank loans or HDB loans? I think one thing that as uh, first-time homeowners, we need to remember is that when, when we take a HDB loan, assuming we qualify for one, we actually pay a much lower down payment. So the down payment is actually 10% as opposed to 25% if you take a bank loan uh, to finance your property. So I think, you know, that's one of the decisions that new homeowners need to consider for themselves because 10% down payment and 25% down payment is quite significant, obviously. I think the other thing we need to remember is that HDB interest rates are stable. It's at 2.6%. It has been at 2.6% for, for many, many, many years already. When you take a bank loan, you are actually taking on the interest rates based on what the global economy is giving you. So sometimes, like today, um, it might be low. So you can get an interest rate of, you know, one less than 2%, you know, 1, 1.5%, and it feels attractive. But there have also been periods in time where interest rates will be higher and you might end up realizing that you will be paying more as opposed to taking a HDB loan. The other thing that I really like about taking a HDB loan is that, you know, the interest rate is, is fixed, which means your monthly repayment is fixed. You know, you don't have to worry about, you know, having to pay $50, $100, $200 more one year from now because the interest rate has increased. At the same time, you know, the way bank tailor their products when it comes to mortgage is that, you know, similar to handphone plans, right? They give you a very attractive interest rate for the first two years or three years to lock you into the loan. That is it's like a lock-in for your handphone plans. You know, you, you get a good bundle, good deal for, for the first two years when you, you have it. But subsequently, you know, the interest rates will increase after the lock-in period. And um, of course, you know, you can refinance again, you know, just like how we get our handphone plans. We, after two years, we just sign up with another provider and get a better deal. But 
just remember, you know, unlike signing up for our mobile phone plans, when you refinance your bank loan, you have to pay legal fees, you have to pay admin fee. So you have to also ask yourself, you know, will refinancing your bank loan after three years, after the lock-in period of three years, actually be worth it considering that you have to pay additional legal or refinancing fee. And I think this is an additional cost which homeowners need to be aware of before they simply take on a mortgage with a bank. CPF is an important component when paying mortgages. Should young Singaporeans use cash or CPF to pay for their homes? It's a good question. And I think that in Singapore, we cannot disconnect buying a home from our retirement plans. The truth of the matter is that buying a house, whether it's a HDB flat or a private apartment, is likely going to be the single biggest ticket item in your entire life. And what you spend on it today will likely affect how much you have for your retirement tomorrow. So, uh, and this is where, you know, the CPF component really comes into play, right? So in Singapore, we can use our CPF OA to help pay for our home mortgage. And I think that's a good option that Singaporeans have. I think it helps us, you know, have the additional option of using some CPF money to pay for what is a very important part of financial planning, owning our own house. But the truth is that, you know, when we use our CPF money to pay for our home today, we are basically taking away money that is actually meant for our retirement. So then we have to balance between what we need now and what we need to plan for for our retirement. Personally, if you ask me, I would say, I would encourage younger people to actually use as much cash as they feel comfortable with when it comes to paying for their homes, as opposed to just simply relying on their CPF account only. Uh, the reason is very simple. Assuming you max out your CPF OA every month when you get your flat as a young couple, what this means is that assuming your salary doesn't increase, your OA account doesn't get to accumulate savings. And this also means that down the line, for example, you lose your job or you want to change job for a period of time, you can't actually tap money from your OA because you haven't accumulated savings in there. We often encourage Singaporeans to pay off their housing loans by age 55. What tips would you have for our millennials so as to achieve that? I think it's not so much of you know having to clear your housing loan by age 55, but the logic of wanting to not have debt when you step into retirement. So I think there is usually two schools of thoughts here, right? So some people... Um, some Singaporeans, they don't like having the housing loan. They feel like they want to enjoy that freedom of not feeling like they have to service a mortgage every month. So they try to clear their loan as quickly as possible. And I think that is good, but it's not exactly necessary because I give you, for example, when if you take a HDB housing loan, you're paying 2.6% on your interest rate, right? If you have the money on hand, and you can you can decide to actually top up your SA account instead, and that will earn you four four percent interest minimum in your special account for retirement. So, essentially, you know it makes more financial sense to top up your SA, um, earn the four percent interest for your retirement account or your special account, as opposed to clearing your HDB loan, which only costs you two point six percent. So, I think that's one school of thought that some people have, which is not to clear your loan so quickly. At the same time, I think the general idea here is that do we really want to be in debt during a period of time when we are about to step into retirement? And I think the simple answer is no. When you are retired, you know, you don't get to enjoy working income anymore. And it might create that kind of mental stress where, you know, you're sitting at home and yes, you might have passive income from your investments. Yes, you might have passive income from your CPF life. Yeah. But then, you know, having to service a debt every month, 
I think that's something we don't really want during our retirement. And I think that's the reason why Singaporeans should try to clear their housing loan before they retire, whether that's 55, whether that's 65, or whether that's 45, you know, if you want to enjoy a very early retirement. Since I'm working in CPF board, my friends often ask me what they should do if they have cash on hand. Is it advisable for them to refinance their home loan? I think it's a, it's a very good question. And unfortunately, you know, the reply really depends on what she prefers. But what I can say is that if she has that sum of money and that's enough to clear her housing loans, she has essentially three options, right? So the first option is that she can do so. And then she would save on the interest rate of 2.6%, which she will be incurring for the remaining of her mortgage, right? So that's 2.6% that she's safe. Alternatively, she can even choose to top up her CPF special account and minimally that would give her 4%, which obviously would be added to her special account and for her subsequent retirement. So that's 4% is obviously higher than 2.6%. So theoretically, you know, that makes more financial sense because you are earning a higher interest while paying a lower interest. The third option, which is what some people may do, is that, you know, given the current COVID-19 situation, the current climate, some people would prioritize having some cash on hand first because, you know, unfortunately, you never know. People might get retrenched and then when they get retrenched, they would then need to dig into their savings. So I think the third option, which is also an equally good option, is to just keep the cash on hand, maybe deploy it into some investments if you feel comfortable doing so to earn a potentially a higher return while taking on the risk, but still keeping that savings with you until you feel comfortable enough such that you, know, you want to do something with the money. So I think it's a very tricky thing to say because I, I can give you an example of a potential scenario, right? It's possible that you can clear your housing loan. Let's say you, you have a housing loan of $100,000 outstanding and you want to clear your housing loan uh, with the $100,000 cash that you have saved up over the last few years, you can do so. And then immediately you have no more mortgage left to pay each month. But then what happens if three months down the road, you lose your job? Then the better option would have been actually to keep on to the savings right now, because then that would help you tie through the short-term cash flow challenges while still you know, paying your mortgage slowly each month. So I think these are really some considerations that people should think about. For most people, you know, they typically, you don't just have to do one and ignore the other. You can choose to take $20,000, $30,000 to pay down your loan. You can take a bit of money, top up your CPF special account, and then keep the rest in cash. I think that's perfectly fine. I think that's a very balanced strategy that in general would make most sense to a lot of people. Mm, thank you, Timothy. So today you actually shared with us uh, some tips to consider when buying their homes and the grants available, as well as uh, things to consider when paying back the housing loans. So before we go, any last words or final advice for our listeners? I think we'll just end off with just two advice. Uh, the first is that you shouldn't disconnect your housing decisions from your retirement plan because for most of us in Singapore, they go hand in hand. So your housing decision will affect your retirement one way or another. The other thing I want to suggest, for, especially for people buying their first HDB flat, is that don't overspend on your renovation. I've seen many people spending 80000 to to 100000 renovating their HDB flat. And while it's great to build that flat that you feel is what you've been dreaming of for years, you know, you could be got to remember that renovation, like many other things in life, is a depreciating asset. So you pay $100,000 for your flat. You know, if you have to sell it after five years, you are essentially paying $20,000 a year for your renovation work. Unless the new buyer really likes your design and is willing to pay that premium because you design your house so well, uh, which from my experience, this rarely occurs. So I think that's my two final advice for our listeners. 
Right. Thank you so much, Timothy, for joining us today. Thank you. With that, we have come to the end of today's episode. Thank you for listening in. Before you go, we would love to hear from you. Email us with your questions or comments at podcast at cpf.gov.sg so we can create better content for you. You can also leave us a review on the platform you're listening from to help others learn about our podcast. For the latest news, visit cpf.gov.sg podcast or follow our social media pages. Thank you once again. Until the next time, let's talk CPF.